Hello, welcome to Nashville CA. This is your double feature, double weekly podcast hosted by one guy in Nashville and one guy in California. I am the California half. My name is Sean. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Josh. Hello, sir. How are you today? I am very well today. How are you? I don't know. (laughs) I watched both these movies this morning. I don't know. I... What did we do? We're supposed to be watching Spooky Season. Uh-huh. These are sp- we're supposed to be watching. <laughs> we're supposed to be watching scary movies. And I don't know what the fuck this episode is this week. Uh, surreal. These movies go hand in hand. I yes. will say, for being a blind pairing, which you had seen House previously. Yes. I have not seen either of these movies before this. Okay, and. The tone of them did work together. Even if by the end of this morning, watching both of these back to back, I was exhausted by weirdness. Yeah, it is. um, I can't with. I mean. We're starting with Possum, right? All right. Well, yeah, by the way, we're talking about Possum from 2018, which is a British horror film. And then um, we're also talking about House from 1977, which is a very Japanese movie. Uh, Yeah. How do you want to start? I watched Possum first. Yeah, I did too. Uh, And I I think as per our usual uh, start low and end high, that's... Yeah, I could see that. Okay, so... I chose this one. It's directed by Matthew Holness, starring um, Sean Harris and Alan Armstrong. Sean Harris, I, I thought I recognized him for something. Mm-hmm. He's been in a ton of stuff, actually. He was um, he was the bearded, mohawked guy in Prometheus. He <gasps> is a man who is so benefited from having facial hair. Seriously. <laughs> he looks like a different human being in Prometheus than in this movie, and I think it's just due to the fact that he shaved his face. Yeah, he looks... Um, in Prometheus, I mean, he's not tough, but he definitely has like an air of, um, of confidence. And in this movie, there's nothing. There's none of that. And it's all in the look. I mean, like his acting is great as well, but... There's so much of it, like, just projected by the look that he's giving off of a of a, a beaten, an utterly beaten person. His body language is pretty incredible. And there's, there's one point in this movie where he's running. <laughs> he has the silliest run <laughs> because he doesn't swing his hands at all. They just kind of hang down by his thighs as he's running. But his body language is so reserved. Yeah, this is a fucking weird-ass movie, but I did think the two performances were both really, really great. Oh, yeah. He feels, um, I mean, and it makes sense as the movie goes on, but there's this uh, feeling of a dog who's been hit one too many times and is just expecting the blow about him. Like, he's always kind of hunched-shouldered and, like, he's tight within himself and very jerky, I guess, like herky jerky, which also goes along with his uh, being a ventriloquist and the puppets and everything. Yeah. So, I mean, the basic premise of this movie is a man who has 
some kind of weird spider puppet returns home to deal with his... I, I thought initially it was stepfather. It, it, it seems it's actually uncle. Or maybe he just calls himself uncle at the end? Yeah, I did not quite understand that because different sources say different things and it's never explicit, I don't feel, until the uncle. But then again, like, you know, sometimes they refer to, like, people as cousins and stuff, so I, I don't know. Yeah. But overall, this movie, I, I really liked the setup. And I, I was... I was really into it, especially as we slowly start to get a feeling of what the fuck is in this bag. And I, I, I totally had Brad Pitt feeling of just like, what's in the bag? What's in the fucking bag? <laughs> but but by the, I wanted the final act of this movie to go off the rails. Mm-hmm. In this movie, it pretty much stays on the rails and it... it it goes a direction that I did not like at all. <laughs> yes. I think we I, had similar this, experiences. I, I was ready for this to be like a crazy movie with this man who, like this puppet comes to life and maybe he's actually out committing acts using this puppet as like a, a extension of his psyche or something. But for the reveal at the end to just, to be that his uncle was sexually abusive and also a child kidnapper Mm -hmm. it 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 just really this landed with such a hard thud for me that i i I was just really bummed out by the the final act of this movie was it because for one thing i have not been able to get away from this movie like i watched it last week and it has stuck with me like, there's certain images and the vibe of it. Like, as soon as I think of that puppet or when he's standing on that bridge um, and after he throws the bag away and then he can't find it again, that little sequence and that scenery has kind of stuck with me. And I don't know if the movie has gone up in my estimation because of that, but did that ending... There's some things, some movies that you hate because they're effective or do you think that this one like undercuts the kind of the rest of what was going on i i it i i didn't it's not because i felt gross or it the ending was not impactful for me on Mm -hmm. an emotional level it was more of an eye roll of like that's where you're going with this that's I, i don't that's too basic and easy and also just I don't want that ending. I don't want to deal with like child abuse and stuff. I I would much rather have gone with this guy was like losing his mind and his mind fractured into the puppet or something or the puppet actually is alive in the end Mm -hmm. and just something. And yeah, you're right because this movie is beautifully shot. The locations are pretty stunning that bridge the one location with the two concrete walls mm-hmm. that looks abandoned military or something uh the the magic hour lighting as the sun is setting um yeah the guy in the river there's so many good moments 
which is why I was more upset with the ending because <laughs> I was like, I was digging it for a while and then it started to repeat itself mm-hmm. and then the ending just kind of really lost me. So I think that's why I was upset with this one because I really had high hopes for it going in. The I thought the the surreal stuff was really cool too. Like they introduced it super early on with the as they're doing the poetry, as he's reading, I guess it's like his version of his childhood poem, the little storybook he wrote about possum. Uh, and they have the balloons with the smoke coming up through them. Great image. Yeah. The, also, what's up with that wallpaper? Like children holding balloons on the wallpaper? That's horror movie wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, only created for that, I think. But... Um, right from the jump, when I saw Matthew Holness, did you recognize Matthew Holness's name? Have you, are you familiar with him? Not at all. Um, have you seen Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? That's something I just know, um, based on the title. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's only a few episodes long. Um, and frankly, you kind of get the joke of it very early on. What? a lot like this, but he plays Garth Marenghi, who is a Stephen King slash Dean Koontz um, slash Peter Straub kind of uh, novelist who this is his show. And so he introduces the the show at the beginning and does the wrap up at the end, kind of like Hitchcock or Rod Serling. And one of his famous quotes is, um, I know writers who you, who use subtext, and they're all cowards. And I think that that really applies to this movie. <laughs> what? He, he's saying if a writer doesn't bash you over the head with something, it's not good? Yes. Well, that's certainly I, a unique take on writing. <laughs> I mean, it's it's supposed to be like he's a pretentious writer and... You know, he's. I'm sorry, the director said this or the character said this? The character, the creator as the character. Okay, I feel a little better about that. Yeah. But it's dead on for this movie because I feel like the the idea that the puppet is like his trauma and he can't get rid of it, he can't escape his past. as you're, if you're looking for metaphor really early on, that's, it's kind of obvious, you know? Um, and, but I did want it to go, I guess, into some like cosmic realm or a more standard horror realm. But this just feels like you have that metaphor and it sticks with it. And then you see only the logical conclusion. Like, I don't, I think the implication that the uncle, was abusive would have been enough. You know what I mean? Like, like you get that, especially by the end and the way he, he treats the main character. Like you understand that. What's his name? Philip. I think it, I, I think they say his name like only once or twice in this movie. Yeah. Philip is the, the main character's name. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I get that feeling. And at the end here, where the uncle has his big reveal, 
and is like, do you miss my fingers, boys? It's just like, Ugh. what, what, what's going on here? <laughs> and then he full on, oh shit, what was the move that Mankind used to do, the wrestler? Where he'd stick his middle and ring finger down somebody's throat. He does that in oh, this movie. Yeah. Just. And what. The green balls? What's up with those green balls in the jar? Oh, I don't know. Like, that's a part that I could never parse. Are they. What are they? What are they supposed to be? Do they represent something, or are they literally just like another gross aspect of this nasty place that they live in? I don't know. I mean, they live they live in a house that was literally burned. Like, there's that one room is burned out. The floor is still missing mm-hmm. from there. This, yeah. What do you think of the set? I thought this set was. Really effective, and it did have me questioning if they found a derelict building or if the set decorators just did a really excellent job making this look absolutely trashed. It is absolutely uh, horrifying. I would expect to find an abducted child in this <laughs> in this setting. If anybody is in there, or maybe some bones or something, because... I I hope that they created this. You know, I hope it wasn't like Texas Chainsaw like where they went into some place because uh it's it's rotting. Like it's falling apart and the boards, the walls are warped and the the paper is peeling off the walls and the wainscoting is like like falling down and just uh it's nasty. I was going to ask you, do you have any loose floorboards in your house that you can lift up and you have secret relics that you keep under there? Oh, God, I wish. I see that so often in movies, and I, it just has me looking around my house like, where could I pry up some floorboards around here? Hey, this is Sean with an editor's note. There's going to be Shawshank Redemption spoilers for the next 30 seconds or so. Uh, I do have a little bit of a hole in the wall where the previous owner's dog ate some of the, the sheetrock. Uh, I guess I could shove stuff in there. <laughs> Behind your um, your poster of a woman in a swimsuit? Rita Hayworth? Was that who was in yeah. Shawshank? Okay. Yes. Well, <laughs> I don't know no. who these old-timey sex icons are. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the original name of the story is Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. Is it really? Yep. That kind of gives away I hope everyone has seen Shawshank Redemption oh, no. by the way. <laughs> if not, you it's should. Right. It's it's one it's of right. the now top I can movies. add You didn't listen to last week's episode, did you? The, me or the audience? You. Oh no. I made a new spoiler sound. Oh, so it's a guitar chord that goes bring and then I let it fade down and then I hit it in reverse. So then it comes back up and goes. Mm -hmm. And that's that's my spoiler tag that I put on there. So I'm very excited to use that again. It's much better than the spoiler horn that I've heard in other shows. Spoiler horn. Yeah, I don't remember which what show it was in, Um, 
but I feel like it was on a network and it got used uh, across multiple things. And it was like, a and uh, I'm sorry for doing that. I'm sorry for even making that sound now. That's horrendous. <laughs> I should take that back. There's other people in my house too. And I'm sure that was just annoying. <laughs> um, so should we go through like a little bit of the plot beats here and try to make some sense of this thing? Oh my God. Uh, I'm not sure how to, but yeah, let's try. So the, that intro shot I thought was really cool where he puts the, he puts the bag down and they must have, I don't know if they found this tree. They must have created this tree, the spider tree that's growing out of the ground as spider legs. Oh yeah. Where he, where he repeatedly tries to get rid of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just thought that was really cool. Um, so it, it's just a man kind of walking around with a leather bag. He, he jumps on a train at one point and sees a boy drawing and takes interest in what the kid is drawing, which the kid rightfully runs away and is like, get out of here, weirdo. So the Wikipedia description refers to him as a disgraced children's puppeteer. I wasn't sure if he was a teacher or what, because they they refer to some incident mm-hmm. that happened where a school, a teacher or someone. So I'm guessing, do you think it seems like the incident was he used the possum puppet around children and now he needs to destroy it in order to rehab himself and get his job back is what I put together. Oh, I hadn't considered that. And it's, uh, I prefer that to the avenues my mind went down. Okay. Well, I, the authorities are never after him. It just says that there was some kind of controversy or something, right? Yeah. So that's one of the question marks of this movie, which there are many. God, he's just so, like I said, beaten looking. I The way that he holds his face from, from the very beginning, um, it's not that he doesn't have a chin, but it's like kind of drawn back and tense. I, I, I feel like he's tucking his chin down a little or something to, to exaggerate. His lack of chin, it seems. Yes. His head is, he's holding his head back, kind of, and away from the world. That's, I mean, my note is uh, turtleneck, (laughs) because it's kind of how he looks. Yeah, I can see that. As he's walking and he goes to his house and is just checking out the rooms and everything, there is just this sadness about him, and... So I, my notes, I'm like, I'm with this movie right now. When he stuffs the spider in the barrel and there's a fox in the yard, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is a good setup for this movie to go off the rails and to, to do something unique and weird. And so I, I was excited at this point. When he's lying in that bed and there's a cockroach crawling on him, I thought that cockroach was going straight for his ear canal. And I was terrified. <laughs> oh, God. It was making a break for his ear, I'm telling you. <laughs> the 
what do you think is his um his thought process behind trying to get rid of the puppet like does he seem haunted by it like it keeps coming back to him or does he is he retrieving it repeatedly i don't understand like and that's introduced right at the beginning here after he shoves it in the barrel right and what's what what other movies does that happen where there's a cursed object that no matter how many different ways you try to rid yourself of it it comes back again and again i think child's play the first one might have done that at some point i don't but i don't the puppet by the end of this movie i don't think there's any implication that the puppet is actually alive in any way mm-hmm. we sometimes see it move a little bit one of its legs or at one point it kind of attacks him on the bed, but these all, I'm pretty sure the movie's telling us this is all just in his head, right? Well, there's one point where he's in the house later where it looks like it's peeking around the the door, like a door frame or something in the hallway, but I don't know if it moves. I don't know, because there's, later on, it's crawling down, he's like hiding in a garage uh, brick garage and you see the legs coming mm-hmm. down from the roof and yeah is this is this actual representation of this puppet uh, chasing this man or is the director trying to say this is trauma that will always linger and pursues him and follows him and he's trying to purge himself of this trauma and of his past but this thing haunts him even as he tries to repeatedly get rid of it over and over again, it always comes back. Um, do you think, does the house deteriorate while they're in it? Because going from the beginning to the end, like it definitely looks like the room that the uncle is in is worse than the rest of the house. I don't know if they just go to different locations or if it actually starts looking worse and worse. I didn't really scope a change in the settings. I was, there's a few times where I was trying to track which room we were in. Cause at one point the uncle was reading, um, his, his book that he wrote, mm-hmm. the kid's fairy tale that he wrote and illustrated. And I thought that was the room that the room that he wouldn't open the door to, but it turns oh, okay. out that was not that, that, that was just a study or a different room altogether. So yeah, there is, and there is one room that Philip repeatedly walks towards the door, and Morris mocks him at one point, saying, "Oh, you're gonna go in this time." And you know, at the very end of the movie, we find that that's the room where the fire happened, where presumably his parents both died. Yeah, I th- I thought it was either that or where the worst of the abuse happened this was like kind of a stretch but where the abuse happened and that maybe philip had like tried to burn it down and like that's when he left yeah i mean we do see that in the in the book that he made there's like a kid running away from a burning house Mm -hmm. and he runs into the woods and that's where the possum essentially introduces itself to him Almost in a similar way of Session 9 of when somebody goes through trauma, 
that's when they're most vulnerable and some kind of malicious entity or spirit or thought can manifest itself. Ooh, I like that connection. Thank you. Um, what do you think of Alan Armstrong? Uh, I just realized that I recognize him from Braveheart. He's one of the nobles who has the cavalry that um, stab William Wallace in the back. And then he gets his oh, head wow. smashed by uh, Gibson rides a horse into his bedroom and smashes his skull with a ball on a chain. I watched Braveheart a lot when I was a kid. I think that says a lot about me. <laughs> um, well, oddly enough, uh, he's in, he's the chief, chief of police or something in uh, Sleepy Hollow. No way. Yes. That's awesome. Was he in Game of Thrones 2 or am I just making that up? No, I'm just making that up. So uh, It seems like he would be. He's got a good face for it. He does. And I feel like every single English actor in the world at one point or another got a part on Game of Thrones. Oh, he was also in Proof of Life. Uh, do you like that movie? The Russell Crowe? Yeah. God, I haven't seen that in years, but I I enjoyed it. It was very much in the, um, uh, like, not political thriller, but like uh, Jack Ryan uh, kind of thing. Yeah, vein. it's a little Tom Clancy. A little yes. bit Tom Clancy. Uh, yeah, I like that one. Especially what it turns into at the end, which is like pretty badass guerrilla jungle warfare mission pretty cool movie it's weird thinking back though that's like half action movie half weird romance between him and meg ryan yes uh and i think upon rewatch now if i went back those parts might drag for me a little it might it might need a man cut is what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> Just get Meg Ryan right out of there. Just make it a buddy movie about Russell Crowe and the redheaded guy from Session 9 that I can't think of. Dennis Caruso. David Caruso. Yeah. Just make it a, a buddy movie between the two of them and make it 50 minutes long. It's uh, wild that that was written by uh, Tony Gilroy. Who's that? Uh, he wrote the screenplay for, and I think he directed uh, too, Michael Clayton. The yeah, that I, I have. If you come out with a movie that's a character's name, there's a ninety five percent chance I'm not going to watch it. It's <laughs> so boring. That? That's such a bad title, Michael Clayton. Fuck off. That tells me nothing. That's such a boring title. I don't care who your lead character is. I'll I'll learn his name in the movie. Speaking of. Possum combined mm -hmm. with the poster, very effective. The reason I wanted to watch this movie primarily was because I really dug the poster and I was intrigued by it. Well, I had heard great things from, um, there's a podcast I listened to called the evolution of horror. And a lot of the guests on there bring it up. I mean, it, it is a British, um, based podcast. The host is like works for the BFI or something. Um, so this is like right in their wheelhouse, but 
they considered it one of the best of whatever year it came out. 2016. Yeah, I saw it on Letterboxd. It, it seen, I think it's most common rating is a four star on Letterboxd. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I maybe we both just didn't get this one or something. Mm-hmm. You know how smoking is cool in movies. Yes. Or yeah, okay. <laughs> it's not cool in this movie. He looks <laughs> so feeble with a cigarette in his mouth because there are these little hand rolled cigarettes. And mm-hmm. but I do like. At one point, his uncle puts a cigarette in his mouth and closes his eyes and sits there, waiting for Philip to know, oh, I need to walk over to you and light your cigarette for you. Mm-hmm. But the fact also, both these men, they exchange cigarettes a few times. And again, it's that bond of flame and smoke that unites them. Wow. You're on fire today with these comparisons. <laughs> Thanks, bud. That's, uh, I mean, <laughs> a lot of my notes are, what the hell am I looking at? What is this movie? What is going on here? Didn't we see I mean, this I don't already? know. That's, 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 those are most of my thoughts. It's just like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? Um, we see a news report that there's a missing teenager who disappeared in the woods or something. And it's the kid that he previously saw on the train who was drawing. Mm-hmm. And this kind of introduces... Like the runner, the kind of side plot that runs through the course of this movie that I guess pays off in the end. I d- did this feel necessary for you? Did, did felt- this movie need an additional side story with this kid or was it complete with just the two men? I felt like it needed something because it does get repetitive. I feel like if it had been a, a short, it could have just been the two guys. Like that would this have would totally have been a for me. killer short is yes. what I kind of what I kept feeling like this would have made a banging 25 minute movie. Yes. Um, and the yeah, because you could get you could get away with the visuals and you wouldn't have to have kind of the repetition. Um, just pick the the best cases of him trying to get rid of the the puppet. Um but I feel like in most movies, the that subplot would have been the main plot. The idea of... They don't really tease it out too much of like, did he do it or did he not do it? Um, it's just kind of this floating underneath. Yeah, it seems like there's a few times where when Philip is confronted with this missing kid's photo or whatever that he might be questioning himself or questioning if he followed this kid, especially when the report says something about a man in a beige trench coat was seen interacting with the boy. Mm -hmm. But I I agree. I, I don't think the mechanic of Philip being wrongfully blamed for this, and it turns out his uncle is the one who's been kidnapping kids I, I don't think it it's fully fleshed out. No, the I felt like the most that it got there was when he's um, there's a the little part where he's uh, walking somewhere and uh, 
a guy calls him a pervert or something. And then he goes and stands outside the school, like in the next scene. And because the movie is so quiet, you never understand if he is what he's doing there. He says, I used to go here. Like it was interesting too how he regressed immediately to childhood when that teacher came out and told him to move on. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Yes, sir, sorry, sir. Or you know, as a school yeah. child would. That's, that, he's got I really no liked, spine. I thought it was really cool that we start at that school location the first time he's standing outside the fence and just you know, it, it looks like a man who's just looking back with tragic nostalgia towards his childhood. But he could also definitely be just a creeper outside of a school. The second cut where we then he's at the school again, but now we're through the fence and we Mm -hmm. never see him cross that fence. We just cut and he's standing almost on the steps of the school. I thought that was very effective because I was like, oh shit, we're going inside here now. And the whole thing with him saying, Please go get my teacher, my teacher from presumably 30 years ago, who's still here. Yeah. I need to go to the police station, and I want him to go with me. I think that also it goes along with the whole theme of he doesn't, he hasn't progressed past his trauma, like, in any way, shape, or form. Um, talking about it also has me wondering if, he possibly took the blame for something else that Maurice did or Morris, however you say it, um, did. And that's why he's disgraced. Like, is there some sort of suspicion surrounding him that wasn't really his to carry to begin with? That does hold some water, I think, because Morris does say at one point, I don't recall what he says, but basically I was the one who did it, but now they're hunting you. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's in like the very last scene. So yeah, there is possibility there. How long do you think it's been since our character has been home? Since Philip has been in this house, it felt like years to me. It's weird because in certain sequences, it feels like he's reacquainting himself with everything. Um. And then other sequences, it seems like he's been there for a long time. But I I don't chalk that up to anything bad with the movie. I think it's how the movie is, is playing it. Almost like um, he's got this goldfish memory, uh, and he's like blocking out certain things. Uh, you know, so it always is kind of new to him, uh, just repeatedly. Which, with trauma and PTSD, that's totally a thing so as he's trying to like rid himself of this trauma and PTSD you know we see him repeatedly try to get rid of the spider both through you know throwing the bag in the river and I thought that that sequence was really stunning because he throws it away and like immediately feels the loss of mm-hmm. not having that thing that he's carried with him and the the panic he has as he's wading through the water trying to find it and can't and he collapses in the mud 
the worst. There's like a very nice grassy area, five <laughs> feet on either side of him, and he takes a nosedive straight into the wettest, blackest mud. Props to this actor because that looked miserable. The uh, idea that he literally can't walk without this, like it is like his, he's got jello legs all of a sudden and can't even carry on without it. Uh, he's used to walking with 10 legs and now he just has two. <laughs> the uh, also that creek or like rivulet off of the river itself. That's the smallest ass creek I've ever seen. <laughs> and so it made me think that there was something. Some more um, credence to the idea that he's like losing his mind or he's he's fractured in some way. Because there's no way that that bag would like float down that creek. No. And, but later in that scene, I believe he does find the possum out of the bag in the mud, I think <sighs> is what happens in that scene. So, again, the question of did he throw this bag, then recover it, then place this thing? Does he keep bringing this puppet back to himself in creating this false reality, or is something weird going on? I I think, honestly, this movie kind of exists in a world where the possum can be slightly magical. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that's just... I think that's what's going on here. Like this, this is a literal representation of his trauma that does exist. He's not completely losing his mind. That's... It's right in this section where uh, I noted that th this seems to share a lot with both Eraserhead and the Babadook. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I've never actually seen Eraserhead in its entirety. I watched... I think I watched probably the first 45 minutes 15 years ago, and then I had to... I was going out or something after that, and I just... <laughs> I never finished it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Babadook, I could totally see, yeah, the, this with Babadook would make a good double. Also, I was talking to my friend recently, I think George from Best Little Horror in Philly, mm -hmm. and um, I I was trying to figure out if I liked the Babadook or not. I, I, I tried to re, I really liked it the first time, and I tried to rewatch it a few months later, and it was way too soon. I think it's like a really strong movie about how fucking hard it is to be a single parent, especially a single parent who's going through grief. But at the same time, I don't know if I would enjoy watching that movie again. There is something about that kid in that movie. And I know he's meant to be overbearing, uh, but it makes it hard to watch. It's for me, it's like the last 20 to 30 minutes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre where it's just <laughs> yeah. screaming and I can't deal with it. I I do recall being very stressed out watching the Babadook and I was like, well, this is effective. But oh, by the way, I watched The Nightingale with my friends uh -huh. a few years ago. I suggested it just because like, oh, Jennifer Kent, she's a good director, and I hear this movie's pretty gnarly. Yeah. It's super fucking gnarly. It's one of like the most fucked up movies I've watched in a long time. I hated it. It's so brutal. 
it there's so much sexual violence in it it it, it it's it's a metaphor for like i just did not care for it at all even if it was a very well-made movie just not my bag at all yeah uh i have avoided it basically based on people saying yeah it's really well done and i never want to see it again yeah, that that goes on my uh my one time viewing list with, along with what other movies would be on there? Irreversible, maybe Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. See, Henry used to be on mine and then did they show it at one of the 12 hours of terror or I happened to like see it at the Bellcourt again um and it really I appreciated it a lot more. Um, and then I started digging into it and like found some podcasts about it and read a little bit about it. And it doesn't bother me nearly as much now. And I find it like, I appreciate more of its filmmaking. The thing that sucks is Michael Rooker is incredible in that movie. Mm-hmm. So I want to watch his performance again, but I don't want to feel all icky and gross. Yeah. Oh, totally. I can see that. That's fair. Uh, I think for a lot of people, Requiem for a Dream is a one-timer. I could watch that again. Yeah. You don't I mind don't that kind of icky? No. It's, I mean, that movie's definitely fucked up and brutal, but I, um, I could watch it again. Uh, what about the, uh, what about Kids? Never seen it. Never seen Solo. Um, I'd probably never watch Gummo again, but that's just because I hated that fucking movie. <laughs> Join the club. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. And I was talking about that with somebody the other day because they brought up eating spaghetti in the bathtub and I was like, Ooh, oh, God, I can't. I can't with that movie. Or, frankly, most of Harmony's things. But I think that's kind of the the result that he's going for, so. Yeah, it, it, it clearly seems to be his intention. I don't know. Man? Yeah, yeah. Woman? Man. Okay. Yep. So, um, back to Possum. There's so many cross-cutting sequences in this, where it's almost dreamlike montages, where we get... Crosscuts of him walking in different times, different locations. There's balloons. And then he wakes up in bed with the possum's eyes staring directly at him. But what did you just think of these sequences? I think they used them a few too many times. Again, I this movie just felt... It kept hitting the same note again and again, I feel, in like the second act. The... Uh... It's weird because I like when movies kind of take big swings or take big formal um, chances. And I kind of feel like the repetition and everything in this is a chance like that, but I don't think it lands. I think that it, it just draws too much attention to itself. And I wonder if the cross-cutting was a way to kind of distract from the fact that he's going through the same actions over and over again. I mean, to the point where he revisits that tree multiple times 
and they cross cut with him visiting the tree at other times. <laughs> and it seems a little like, like, okay, let's, let's have him do something else. Um, and there's hardly any dialogue. I mean, Morris gets the, the lion's share of the dialogue and it's horrible and abusive. Uh, and it made me wonder because of the cross cutting, what is real? Is Morris even real anymore? Has he died? Because he exists like only in this house at this point. That's very true. Yeah. Morris, we don't ever see him once taking care of himself in any way. Mm -hmm. He doesn't seem to leave the building. So how has he survived these past years or however long it's been without Philip around? Right. Um, I, so there's one moment that I thought could have been more, and it's the story of the fox. I, they, Philip tells a story of when he was a kid, he and his friends found a sick fox and they abused it and mutilated it and killed it. And then his friends like stuffed his, like shoved his face into the dead body and so and it just if there was a moment where I feel like this movie could have gotten me emotionally more to feel for Philip or something I feel like this could have been it but it it didn't get me there um it really reminded me of uh there was a book Let's see. The the troop? No. Oh, there's a very gnarly animal killing scene in the book The Troop though. I don't th- I've not seen that one. Oh, wait. You read The Troop. You read The Troop. I it's read the, the Troop. Yes, yes. That's Lord of the Flies yeah. on an island in Washington. Uh Talk about one that made me feel gross. I loved that book. If you want, if you just want pure childhood carnage and chaos, highly recommend Read the Troop. That's so there's a story that I've always attributed to, um, in my mind, a book of short stories about the Joker. Um, and in it, he traps someone in a water tower traps another kid. He like lures him into this water tower and then just visits him repeatedly as he starves to death. And that imagery and that cruelty has stuck with me for years. I might be attributing it to the wrong thing because I was also reading a lot of Stephen King short stories at the time. Um, but I feel like it's from that, that book about the, the greatest Joker stories ever told or something like that. Um, and that's what, his story reminded me of was like, you know, a kid who pulls the wings off of flies type of thing, like the, or keeps animals in jars and watches them die. There's something about that that just creeps me the hell out and always has. I'm far too empathetic to, to deal with <laughs> those things. Oh yeah. I and mean, back when I used to be more, interested in 
serial killer stuff and like when I was 20 15 years ago they always said this like signs of a serial killer are basically like animal abuse combined often with like head trauma as mm -hmm. in childhood often like those two things seem to combine to be like the perfect equation to create monsters that's that always freaked me out because you can see it even a little bit here on the on the camera. I've got a scar on my forehead from uh, when I was like seven or eight years old. I fell off a, the neighbor's porch and landed right on my head. And so later when I would hear that, I was like, oh, no, am I going to be <laughs> am I going to be a serial killer now? You never know. You still have time. That's true. It could uh, it could kick in any moment now. It's 2022. You can be whatever you want to be, whenever you want to be. <laughs> Go for the gusto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What What's your next spot? I I when I got him stomping and punching the possum at that concrete wall location, and then after that, he throws the bag into um, like a man-made cistern, yeah, water system, something like that. Uh, the fact that when he does turn on the TV or when he walks past the newspaper, all the news is about the missing boy. I was like, it feels like the trope of they turn on the TV right at the right moment, but also this is all like a fever dream. So I, once again, I don't know if I can fault it for that. Yeah, I mean, at one point, I think the television is literally static, mm -hmm. and he walks in, and suddenly the sing the signal cuts clear to say that there's a 14-year-old boy missing in the woods, and then it becomes all staticky again. Yeah. So I definitely think there could be some kind of magical realism or whatever happening with these news reports, or it's all in his head, that kind of thing. Yeah, because this is where I actually started questioning, is Maurice even real? Like, uh, when we go into that study, and he's surrounded by stacks of paper and books, and but it all kind of looks like, um, oh, like detective files, or police files, like they're in envelopes and stuff, a lot of it is. Or, you know, like the manila folder kind of thing. Yeah. Um in that scene where they're they're talking later and it's like we finally get some plot revealed and it's like after the Fox story I guess what Morris did was he helped Philip get revenge on the kids that were part of the Fox story mm -hmm. because he says that their faces looked petrified. Is that is that what you got? I was trying to parse out just like what what's the actual plot of this movie and I I was kind of struggling to do so. That's uh I did note. I was like I have no idea what's going on, but I think I get what the movie's saying. Uh Yeah, I totally totally. I like that shot where Philip's holding a lighter in front of his eye with Morris behind the flame and he says, "Why didn't you burn burn Morris? Why wasn't it you?" Well, and that, um, 
I mean, this is jumping forward, but he's got the the barrel that he shoves the possum into. Um, it looks later. I think the implication is that he burned up the kids, uh, or maybe Morris did. Oh, or, hmm. I could see that. Yeah, I think. I mean, because of this, the repeated fire thing, the burned house, the 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 lighter, the burn barrel, which is always what I called those. Like when I was young, that's uh, we had one in our backyard at my grandparents' house, uh, and that was the burn barrel. I when I was watching this, I was like, you know, that would be kind of nice to have in my backyard. Honestly, mm-hmm. I do have a fire pit though, or just you know some rocks and a ring. Um, I can only have a fire outdoors here about mm, four or five months out of the year, something like that. Basically, from November until April. Once May hits, usually it's too dry by then. Uh, I think we could have fire year round. Just leave it burning, and because it's oh, so, you'd be fine. It's yeah. so wet, nothing you'd would happen. Good, good luck starting that fire in the first place, though. <laughs> The matches uh, are all damp. Did you get... Um, you've seen Antichrist, right? Lars von Trier? Uh, not the whole thing. I was literally watching it, and somebody gave me a content warning, like, texted me, as because I was like, oh, I'm going to put on Antichrist. And they were like, hey, if you're not into, you know, the thing that happens... Watch out. And I was like, you know what? And I think I put in Mad Men, like just, just <laughs> swap, just change, change what a, lanes. What a detour. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think Antichrist kicks ass. I, I, it's fucking brutal, but I think it's really excellent. Uh, I saw it once at home and then like three weeks later, they were playing it on the college campus I was going to. And so I went on campus, and there's probably, I don't know, 30 other people spattered around a uh, student, like a lecture hall. Mm -hmm. And they played it, and feeling the vibe of the crowd. And I had already seen it, so I knew what was coming. It was was a hell of a thing to witness in person. I'll I'll say that much. (laughs) But anyway, I brought it up because that... I get real Antichrist vibes in the scene where he walks by the dead fox on the frosted grass and he looks back and it's watching him from the path. And earlier, I think he he said earlier that after they killed that fox and abused it, it got up and walked away. Oh, God. What does it mean, Sean? What does it all mean? I don't know. It's like when he they burned the possum in the can... We finally get a green ball. Morris gives him one. Mm-hmm. He eats the green ball. And then he just starts gagging and puking. What is this green ball? Uh, is, is it a frozen grape with, with tahini on it? Because that's a nice little treat. Ooh, I had... Well, you could have a non-alcoholic version of this. I had a michelada yesterday watching the Padres beat the Mets mm-hmm. 6 to nothing to move on to the National League Divisional Series. It was wonderful. Micheladas are the fucking best drink in the world. 
What is it? You know what it is? No. It's a it's a Bloody Mary beer. So oh, okay. it's about 80% beer, 20% Bloody Mary mix, a uh, couple splashes of lime or lemon juice, and a tahine rim around the pint Ooh. glass. Yeah. The tahine rim is what sets that thing apart. But I was actually thinking you could have one with those. I liked those non-alcoholic beers you had. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what they were, but I drank a few of them when we played Dungeons and Dragons. Those were good. Yeah, I've, I got some. We did the 24-hour marathon um, last weekend, I guess. And I got some uh, pumpkin beer, like non-alcoholic pumpkin spiders. That was pretty good. Nice. Uh, and then I've got one called Hellraiser, which is like a, a dark amber. Uh, and the way that they make it is they brew it and then take the alcohol out somehow. I don't know. <laughs> Magic? Okay. So you actually get legitimate tasting beer. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, what do you think right before, right when um, Philip walks up to Morris in the backyard uh, and he's throwing papers into the burn barrel? When Philip sits down, Morris walks across and lights his cigarette. What's I don't know it, it, the whole cigarette thing. They they're they're handing cigarettes back and forth each other a lot, mm-hmm. and, and it's kind it's kind of icky. Also, when I smoked cigarettes, I was not a cigarette lighter. I would hand you my lighter. So like uh, standing outside a bar, or when I would have a cigarette and I would ask someone for a light. And then they would hold their hands up to my face with the... I I don't want that. And I don't want to have to then cup my hands around your hands as you're lighting... It's so awkward. Just hand me your lighter and let me light my own cigarette, please. There's something way too intimate about the... There is. It's way too intimate. It's like kissing or something. I I can't explain it. But it's like, unless you and I are sleeping together, I do not want to be lighting your cigarette. Even then, it seems like too much. I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> Sex is less intimate than that. <laughs> um, cops knock on the door. Cops go away. That that's the end of the cops in this movie. <laughs> that was quick. That's what about when? I don't know if the cops are actually looking for Philip or he thinks they are, but when he's out and he hides in that garage. And the cops drive past and he just turns his face away. <laughs> like, like that's his way of hiding like a child who has no object permanence. He's like, I'm going to avert my eyes and, and everything. If I will be can't okay. see them. They can't see me. Yes. I don't know what do you, I mean, the part where he's looking at the photo of his parents and then it starts raining black rain, which we see is in his, uh, book that he wrote as mm-hmm. the kids running away there's I, I'm presuming that's like the rain falling through the smoke of his burning house oh okay I, I what else why else would there be black rain I mean I don't think that exists in reality I think the black rain is in Philip's head oh I do too I just didn't connect it to that but it that does make sense that's the only reasoning I could give it that would give any kind of that would make any sense. 
Um, well, this movie basically uh, rips off Stalker here, where we have a room that we're... <laughs> the, the fabled room that's hinted at for so long, and we're finally going inside the room! And it's just a shitty burned-out room <laughs> with a hole in the floor. And, and teeth in a jar? Why, why are there why are there molars in a jar, Josh? I I would l- hopefully think that they were Philip's wisdom teeth from when he was like seventeen, but I think that it's much darker than that. But why? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, well, and he looks like he's crying. When he holds up the the teeth, and so I think it's like the thing we're gonna find out soon, which Morris is the the kidnapper, um, and maybe it's proof that Morris is the kidnapper that he's done this before. Maybe um, Philip has been questioning himself the whole time as to whether he really did it or not. I think that that's definitely a, a reading. Um, and then Morris tries to shove him in the bag that, that possum has been in. Phil, everyone's always shoving Philip's head inside of things, whether it's <laughs> dead foxes or empty bags. I, what do you think of Morris putting the mask on? <laughs> Apparently the mask that he used to assault children in his previous years, only for him to immediately tackle Philip and then remove the mask to be like, didn't you figure it out yet? It's just... I, it's so weird. And then... The the death, the way Philip kills him, it didn't make sense. He has his head over the edge, and then just kind of like, pushes his head. I, it seemed like his neck, Morris's neck, broke far too easily. Yeah. Um... We never talk... Well, I always forget to talk about the title. So, the title of the movie, Possum. We've had a man who's literally been playing dead this entire movie, Mm -hmm. essentially. But possums have scary fangs. And, you know, you corner a possum, it's going to eventually stop playing dead if you fuck with it, and it's going to attack. And that's essentially what happens here. Okay. But... I don't know if this is true in the UK, uh, but in Australia, their possums are different possums. What they call a possum is a different animal. Well, isn't there a possum and then there's an opossum? I, I think possums and opossums might be different animals. Uh, Listeners, I know this is why you come to us <laughs> Figuring out shit like this. So we're going to get to the bottom of this. It says both possum and opossum correctly refer to the Virginia possum frequently seen in North America. Well, then let's look up possum in the UK. (laughs) There are no possums in the UK. What? Well, now that's really confusing. (laughs) Oh, that's wild. Okay. (laughs) This movie... Just when I think it's starting to make sense, it curveballs me again, and I don't understand anything. 
is uh no Matthew Holness is English, so it's not like he would have the Australian or American uh viewpoint on that. That's wild. Ah, I learned something. I hope next Tuesday when I go to trivia, one of the questions will be This marsupial cannot be found in the UK. <laughs> To your point about Morris dying really easily, it's the only time where Philip seems to have any strength. Like, he seems to have a hard time lugging around the bag with a possum in it. Morris, like, overpowers him easily when he attacks him. And then in those final moments, it's like suddenly he has some kind of burst of energy uh well and it seems to be correct me if i'm wrong is it when he notices or hears the kid in the box also there's just a kid in the box in the corner (laughs) i don't mean to laugh at that but there's a child in a box uh uh, yeah what's i like it philip kind of does like the Hulk Hogan thing that he used to do, where like he'd be getting beat down, and then the crowd would start to cheer his name, and then you can see him like getting filled with power, and he gets Hulkamania, <laughs> Hulk rage, and then flips over, and we kind of get the Hulkster here at the end. <laughs> There's all right, so he also, uh, I didn't need to see one grown man. Whipping another grown man's butt with a belt. That I I feel like this movie really laid it on thick here at the end. Like you said, where like subtle a little maybe subtlety in the writing mm-hmm. could have gone a lot further than what we get here. Yeah, it feels um just I don't know. It it's weird. Because it doesn't feel as overt as, like, Rob Zombie, right? Where he's really, like, shoving your face in it and wants you to feel, um, especially in the early part of Halloween, where it's like, all this shitty stuff is happening to Michael Myers. Can't you excuse him? Um, it It doesn't feel like that, but it also isn't nice it you know what i mean it plays somewhere in between not that like abuse is ever going to be nice but it it could be more stylized and more uh horror feeling than what this is this is very flat it doesn't have much affect to it i think the high quality of acting from both of these guys really keeps the wheels on the bus where they easily could have gone flying off the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, these actors, again, they do an excellent job with some writing that is not... It just bashes you over the head. That's... I feel like... And especially, this is essentially a two-hander, right? Like, other people speak... But does anybody else have more than a couple lines in one single scene? 
it's like it is these two guys. No. It's just these two guys yeah. and then a few bit parts who have two to three lines each. So he kills him. He lets the kid out of the box. The kid just like takes off and Philip walks outside, sits down against a wall and credits it. This ending was pretty jarring. Mm-hmm. And he's still holding possum. Mm, yeah. Like he's the possum's head is in his lap still. Um, and this, it brings me to one of the things that I thought was good. And I want to get your take. Uh, what about the, the soundtrack? Yes, I, I did like the soundtrack and I also liked the, I thought the title, the title card intro sequence that was really heavily stylized Mm -hmm. worked really well. And the soundtrack did some cool stuff. It was kind of all over the place. There was some more classical string moments and then that would get mixed in with more of a soundscape kind of stuff. I, I did think the soundtrack was quality. I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, I thought it, it's like kind of cool ambient feeling stuff for a lot of it. Um, and then the string sections are almost like folk feeling. Uh, and there's like, I don't know. I don't know if it's synth or not. I'm horrible at picking that out. But like uh, a lute or a harp, uh, harpsichord kind of sounds like plucking strings uh which i thought were really cool like i don't know that balanced against the uh the experimental electronic stuff felt um was it tom and andy um did they do the score for mothman prophecies that sounds very familiar okay I feel like when we had that, when we talked about that episode, we might have mentioned Tom and Andy. Okay. What a a name for a composing team. (laughs) It's like Daniels. Yes. So, you got anything else here as we are wrapping up Possum? Um, no. Literally, I ended with, uh, so it was Maurice, like, uh aha. I called it in the middle of the movie when the kid goes missing. Um, But he didn't kill the kid. I thought that he had killed the kid and that's what he was going to find. So it made me happy that the kid wasn't dead. Uh, And then that he ends up with, he's still carrying possum. That's the part. I guess I wanted him to be rid of it. Yeah. I, I feel like, Maybe in a more Hollywoodized version of this script, after he gets his revenge kill, or however you want to call it, his his kill on Morris that then saves a life, saves a child that he could not save when he himself was a child. Mm-hmm. I, I in a Hollywood version, maybe you you would see him walk away and finally place put the possum down and walk out of frame. And see that the possum is actually staying there this time behind him and not not following him as it has been the whole movie. But 
as the black metal band Zaster said in one of their song titles, trauma will always linger. And maybe that's, you know, maybe this is a more realistic take on things, is that we'll never truly be rid of our baggage. I didn't expect uh, Hulk Hogan and black metal references in this. (laughs) I also didn't expect us to have anything to talk about with Possum, so I'm really glad that we did. I've stopped worrying about that with this show. Even when I feel like, I don't know what the fuck I have to say. I know once you and I get in a recording session, it'll happen. I've stopped worrying about that. That being said... Hang in there, viewers, because we're about to talk about House from 1977, and I have no fucking idea what I'm going to say about this movie. (laughs) (laughs) So what would you give Possum uh, out of five stars? Uh, That is a very good question. I'll tell you, I... It sucks because I... I I like the performances so much, and I like a lot of things about the movie, how it's shot, how it's made the soundtrack... But overall, I had, I think I felt more negative than positive about this one. Um, That, the Indian, when you leave a movie with a bad taste in your mouth, Mm -hmm. it really, really kind of spoils the the whole dish. I'm going two out of five on this one, unfortunately. Same here, which is in my barely negative category if two and a half is like neutral. Yeah. So there were good things about it, but overall it didn't get over that hump to be something that I would ever want to watch again. And not because it was so traumatizing, just because, like you were saying, it's not quite there. Caveat. I would absolutely watch this director's next movie. Oh, totally. Welcome back. Uh, Next, we're going to be talking about the 1977 Japanese film, House. 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 Directed by Nobuhiko Obayashi. And Josh, this was your choice. Why did you choose this one? I've never seen this before. I've heard of it. I've seen the poster. And I knew... I just knew it had a good reputation. Uh I did not know what I was about to get myself into today. (laughs) That's pretty much why I wanted to do it. Um, I like inflicting this movie on people. That's, I think it is so much fun and it is so out there that it's one of those, like, I really want to see people's responses to this. It's one of the more out there movies I've seen. And Japan is a very special country with a very special culture. And this feels like the most Japanese thing I've ever seen. And so it's just, this was chaos. (laughs) This was just like unadulterated madness, this movie. And I... Just, I mean, even just the character names, Mm -hmm. having Melody for the girl who plays music, Mac, is that a McDonald's joke? For the quote-unquote fat girl, sorry, I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) um, What else? Gorgeous for the pretty girl. It's just, this movie is like (laughs) lunacy. 
<laughs> just pure. <laughs> this movie belongs on the moon, basically. Uh, so what would your name be? We we have gorgeous. We have fantasy. Uh, we have kung fu. Potato. Potato. I eat a lot of potatoes. Okay. That makes sense, yeah. Actually, my ex-girlfriend called me Potato. I just revealed a very deep emotional wound of mine. Oh, it's your own personal (laughs) possum. (laughs) We'll be right back. I need to go get my puppet supplies. (laughs) What would your name be? You know, the funny thing is... I came up with this question and then never thought about it again. <laughs> so well, I'm putting you on the spot so now, now like you spot. just did me. Yeah. Um I don't know, maybe shoes. Shoes. I always get complimented on my shoes. I wear distinctive shoes a lot of the time. What? Yeah. I mean, you can't see them generally because, you know, Webcam. Josh, don't pretend you don't have a foot cam on right now <laughs> that I can just watch your feet while we record. It's for, for my own foot fetish. My foot fetish is showing other people my feet. We've been doing this show for like over a year now. It's time to let the viewers in on the truth. <laughs> viewers! <laughs> um, so just this... This was one of I, I I I struggled with this movie because I feel so absolutely disconnected from everything that's happening but there's also some extremely clever shit and some filmmaking techniques that I don't think I've seen anywhere else and so much originality I really struggled with this one because I it was so over the top that I I wasn't vibing with it but my mind is blown that this was even made in the first place and the, the amount of talent to make this movie and the balls to do this. I, I'm excited to talk about this one. That's, did you look up any of the, the history, the making of, of this movie? I rarely do. Okay. So, um, Obayashi was, I believe, an ad executive? who was approached to make a movie like Jaws. And and he was like, sure, why not? And then he went home and talked to his, uh, his like teenage or preteen daughter about like, what kind of movie should I make? And she was like, adults are so boring. They only talk about real things. That's so flat. And so he apparently decided to take her words to heart and make a movie that was not about anything real at all and use every trick that he had figured out during his making ads. That's interesting that you say that the advertising thing, because there's so many trick shots in this that I feel like would have been established as the centerpiece of one single commercial. Mm -hmm. For instance, I mean, all right, the title card alone, this title card where the the O in the word house turns into a mouth with an eyeball, and then it spits out a hand as a voice says, house. <laughs> this alone is already madness, this title card. But it's the very first shot of the movie, or I mean, one of the first, 
when it shows the girls in the classroom and there's some kind of weird green square in the middle and it's like a, a little picture in a picture and then she, the girl walks to the left of the frame and then jumps into the entire frame of the sh- I can't even explain <laughs> visually I it, it, I can't put into words what this shot looks like but it blew my fucking mind. I rewound it and I still did not understand how. Yeah, it's like like you said it's a, it's a frame in a frame and it looks like it's a a picture being taken and the rest of the frame is static and then she steps into the static part of the frame, which then becomes the motion part of the frame. It's absolutely insane. What the fuck? <laughs> um, also, shortly after this, I've never heard a movie play two different pieces of score simultaneously <laughs> over the top of each other. <laughs> that really blew my mind. There's <laughs> like... A fun, like, drum beat with some kind of synthy sounding thing. And then there's a character introduced, and they add, like, a sappy piano. But they don't stop the original score, so there's just two pieces of music colliding with each other. It's... Um, what is it? Is it Peter and the Wolf that they used to teach kids about musical motifs? Did you have that when you were a kid? Uh, probably, but, but go on. Uh, and they, like, there's a recording, I guess, that they use all over. You could probably look it up. And they're like, um, Peter is the flute. And it plays the flute melody. And it's like, and the wolf is this melody. And the woodsman is this. And it's like, wah, 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 you know, whatever it is. Uh, that's what I feel like this movie sticks to that. And they're just like, whenever the characters on screen, we're, <laughs> we're going to play their theme. And if all seven characters are on screen, sure. Why the hell not? We'll just throw <laughs> them all on. <laughs> Who's your favorite character of this crew of girls? What, what are all of their names? Um, we have Melody. Kung Fu, Sweet, Mac, Prof, Fantasy, and Gorgeous. Each name is equally as absurd as the previous one. <laughs> which which girls which girl do you like? Kung Fu. <laughs> gotta be Kung Fu. It's right? gotta be Kung Fu. Kung Fu's so cool. Yeah. She never gets flustered. She's always busting out kung fu to help everybody when they need to. Melody's pretty cool though, but I'm just I just like musicians. Yeah. Uh and did you think that they were all maybe like nicknames that the girls had for each other? And then Gorgeous goes home and her dad and possible new stepmom like refer to her as Gorgeous. <laughs> Oh no! I, I I took these names as if they were on their birth certificates. Okay. Yes, this movie was on the level of. Is preposterity a word? It is now. <laughs> well, the amount of preposterity in this movie 
told me that these are these girls' real names. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get introduced when Gorgeous goes home to the the matte paintings that are going to be in the background yeah. of a lot of these shots. <laughs> this is this might be the most matte painted movie I've seen. Oh yeah. Uh, what about the gag when they get off the bus later? And it looks like there's a matte painting behind them. And then the camera pulls back and it reveals that it's just a billboard. And the matte painting behind the billboard is the exact same (laughs) as the billboard. Well, was that what it was? Because there was also, I thought, another shot with the bus where it pulls up and it's a wide angle where we can see like a beautiful natural vista and hill and trees and then down by the road, there's just the one matte painting. Yes. And then it goes down close. I, that might be the same shot. But yeah, that was like this movie over and over again points out the artifice of movie making. Mm-hmm. That's why I think I like it. Like, I really enjoy movies, as I said before, that take big swings. Uh, but it, every movie is fake, right? Like. It doesn't matter how how much realism they're trying to inject in it. It's fake. It's it's make believe. Even documentaries, like someone made choices about what they're going to show you, and it's all a construct. And I think movies like this, not that there's many other <laughs> movies like this I can think of off the top of my head, uh, but it really just uses every technique known to man and. It could be distancing, but I find it's so over the top that I eventually get back into it. Have you ever seen Hell's a Poppin'? I don't believe so. Hell's a Poppin'? H-E-L-L-Z-A-P-O-P-P-I-N. It's, I, I need to finish it, actually. It's one of our Sunday morning movie clubs. I believe previous guest Russell was the one who said, who hosted it. Um... That movie, I I watched like the first 40 minutes at the Portland airport and then I had to board my plane, Mm -hmm. but I feel like the pace of it and the amount of in-camera jokes and things that point out the artifice of of movie making and stuff, I feel like that would pair really well with this one. You should check it out. Okay. On the list it goes. Is it, Um, would it fit in with spooky season at all? No. Well, I don't know. Is hell's in the word in the title? Yeah. Ooh, lots of people love this love this movie. Okay. So the amount this movie's so fucking stacked full of transitions and fade in and outs and dissolves and frame matches or after her dad tells her that Sergio Leone told her <laughs> that his music was better than Morricone's. <laughs> and after he introduces her to a woman and says, hey, this is going to be your mom now. He th- she throws a handkerchief. And the handkerchief gets its own insert shot that just is like a cut of a third of the frame just to watch this handkerchief fall to the ground. It- it's There's so much of that in here. I cannot imagine... Editing this movie on physical film back in the day. No, it's, I was trying to figure out how long it would take. Um, because 
what you didn't say is that takes up a third of the frame. The rest of the frame is a static shot of Gorgeous as she's running through the door after she, like, seconds after she throws the the handkerchief thing up in the air. So you would literally have to, like, splice those things together uh, manually, like, side by side. Oh. I, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. How do you do that? I, th- I think it would probably be like optical printing um, where you're stacking these elements almost like animation and then taking pictures with another camera in order to, to do that. And I think that's why you can account for some of the quality loss in, during a lot of the effects because they're like a generation or two removed from the actual film negative. I see. That, that makes total sense. Yeah, there, there is some grain on some of those shots, isn't there? Yeah. So, now we're going to cut to the shoe shop, where people are making shoes. They're, one dude's, like, headbanging. There's a parrot on a stand. There's a tiny horse next to them. And there's a man walking around with a steel bucket on his ass. <laughs> what did you show me today, Josh? <laughs> A, what if a delightful like, I just, romp? I was just—I know, but I was just saying, I was like, "What am I watching?" <laughs> I just—what uh, is this? Is basically like my feeling this whole time was just, "What the fuck is going on right now?" Um, you did—you skipped the portion where the cat first shows up, and this is. Blanche, who's going to be in the rest of the movie and makes magic things start happening. Um, which is, well, you know what? I'm going to say it's bananas. <laughs> Cat has magic green eyes. Yes. Oh, and don't say bananas. You're going to turn me into a skeleton because I'm a watermelon salesman. <laughs> uh a man who sells watermelons turns into a skeleton because another man refuses to buy a watermelon from him because he says he prefers bananas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whoa. Don't just say, don't just say, mm-hmm, answer for yourself. <laughs> uh, the skeletons in this movie, I find it delightful. They're very old-timey classic Halloween skeleton. The, uh, all the girls are supposed to go on a trip together and they're going to go to, is it, is it fantasy or gorgeous's aunt's house? I guess gorgeous's one of them. I don't know. Who's Blanche Dubois from uh, streetcar named desire. Thank you. Yeah. I, it's a name that exists in my head. But I just didn't know what that character was from. That's yeah. got to be what the cat's named after, right? I think it's just because she's white. Blanche is a terrible name. That's one of the least attractive names I've ever heard. Yet it was, Blanche. It was the name of the sex pot on uh, Golden Girls. I've never seen a single second of Golden Girls. Really? How did you grow no. up in America... Without ever having been exposed. I watched, like, Nickelodeon 
Simpsons and Seinfeld when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I never watched Nick at Night. I never touched anything that was black and white. I never, I, I don't know. I had a serious aversion to stuff which I deemed old. Okay. Uh, how, so now I, how old <laughs> now was I'm old? trying to make up for it. How old is old? I feel like even when I was a kid in the 90s, I felt like some 80s movies were old. Okay. Like, when I was in the 90s, something like, oh, I don't know, The Breakfast Club or Dirty Dan, those would feel old to me. And they would mm-hmm. feel dated in 80s, even though we were so close to them. In movies from 2012, it's like the 2000s have no distinguishing characteristics, I feel. Like, 90s have a feel, 80s have a feel, 2000s and 2010s, I, I, I feel like I have no feel for those. They just kind of all blur together. They just kind of exist. It's just, I don't know. Um, so when they're, what, what is the story here? They're heading to the aunt's house for what reason? It's like, it doesn't really matter, does it? No, it's like their spring break or whatever. And they mm-hmm. were supposed to go to Gorgeous's dad's villa. Um, and they can't for some reason. Because he's going there with the girlfriend or whatever. Uh, and the girls get on a magic train that go- drives through animations. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> and then... They start reminiscing about the story of her grandparents or her aunt. Uh, I think it's the story of her aunt and her husband who dies in the war. But the girls are actually watching a filmed version of this story as they reminisce and they comment on the movie that they're watching. (laughs) Of course. Also, one of... One of the biggest laughs I got from this movie was it looked like there was an extra on the bus who goes to sneeze. And right at the moment that she sneezes, they cut to Blanche the cat meowing and then cut back and she's finished her sneeze. (laughs) Just (laughs) the most random, random insert. That's beautiful. (laughs) I did not notice that. I'm a little upset now. She's in, from what I recall, the extra who sneezes in the, the bottom right of the frame on the bus ride. And then there's a, a Blanche meow that they cut through her sneeze. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you think of Scary Watermelon Salesman? <laughs> and his weird baggy overall shorts? I, What's he wearing? I like the idea that he is standing there behind his watermelons waiting to scare whoever would pick up that particular watermelon. <laughs> I hadn't thought about the fact that he had about a 1 in 14 chance of putting his head in the correct position. Yeah. And yeah, how long has this guy been waiting there to pull this trick? And then why are these watermelons fake? Why do they look like they're bombs that have been painted watermelon color and they have little fuses sticking out the top that could be lit to explode? Not just bombs, cartoon bombs. 
Cartoon bombs, yes, yes. like from Super Mario Brothers. Yes. <laughs> the, that's, I was going to ask, have you ever seen a watermelon so perfectly round? Is that a thing that can happen? Ooh, that's interesting, because I feel like if you were if NASA were to grow watermelons in zero G, you could potentially get a spherical watermelon. Hmm. They go flat where they are on the ground. I thought maybe there would be a way, uh, like if you grew them in a circular jar. Well, I mean, they grow s- square watermelons, right? Isn't that a thing? Supposedly, I don't know. And those just those must just be boxed fruits, like you're saying. You yeah. just grow them into any kind of vessel. Now you're making me ask myself, why am I not turning my vegetables that I grow into weird shapes? Like, what if I had tomatoes that were shaped like uncooked spaghetti noodles? Ooh. And what would you utilize uh, these for? Hmm. Turn them into straws that you drink micheladas out of. <laughs> That's perfect. Except for <laughs> then you need to lick the rim and then get to the straw. It'd be wonderful. Yeah. And no turtles would get straws in their noses. Ooh. Uh, what's the other drink? Is it a mangonada that I'm thinking of? Uh, I don't know. Clamato? It definitely was not Clamato. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mango Nada uh, is like a mango smoothie that you can also put uh, tequila or rum in. Um, and it has tahine on top and maybe on the straw? No, it's a tamarind candy straw. That's what it is. That sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Tamarind candy straw? Wow. There's a place in Tahoe called Garwoods that makes wet woody. And it's basically a peach Slurpee that's just loaded with rum. And they're very dangerous because they are delicious. My sister had a 30th birthday party about 30 years ago. Sorry, Tracy. I know you listen to the show. (laughs) And we got the recipe from the bartender. And my mom rented a Slurpee machine. And so that party was fueled by peach Slurpee rum. Oh, it was was a good party. Bad morning. Bad morning. So, So that cat is up to no good, huh? We walk into this house and... This... (laughs) This... <laughs> the cat uses its green magic eyes to launch chandelier icicles at the girls, which also causes some kind of monstrous-looking lizard to appear, which then gets impaled, which then Blanche eats. So then my question is, did Blanche intentionally kill this lizard just because it was hungry and wanted a snack? But also... And this was my note... Towards the end, uh, but I think it's worth talking about. 
Blanche is the ant and is also gorgeous at some points and is also the house. Yes. Yeah, okay. Just check. That's it. Yep. And and the house eats. Yes. Mm-hmm. The house has blood in its veins that mm-hmm. flow through the well system. And the house breathes and blinks and coughs and sneezes. <laughs> this all this all tracks. In a movie that is stock full of complete absurdism, a girl asks someone, why do you wear sunglasses outside? <laughs> why is that the thing that makes you stop and pause of all of this shit? Someone, where else would you wear her sunglasses? Inside? All of the, uh, the friends go missing at different points. Um, the, the ant has a, an eyeball that pops out of her mouth. When she's eating, uh, I think, the watermelon, uh, everybody starts seeing things. Fantasy especially starts seeing things. And it's the sunglasses that really, really make you question. Mac's decapitated head bites a girl on the butt, says something like yum or tasty, and then vomits blood water. (laughs) Um, do you, does how do you think, how do you think they did the effect of Max decapitated head or later on the shot with the individual fingers? How did they composite out bodies back then? I think it was still, um, like blue or some particular color that they could, but so that they could cut it. Cause it has to be like cut and then animated on top. Right. But then also they interact with things sometimes. And that doesn't make any like sense. The, the fingers are pushing keys on the piano. Yeah. I don't know how they did this back then. This, you know, this all looks like very easy stuff nowadays with, Actors wearing green bodysuits, but back then they had to do physical manipulations of the media in order to produce these magic effects, and it, it's really, it's really stunning just to to see these effects and at this time period. Oh yeah, and the combination of the effects with like the matte paintings, the fact that everything looks like a set and then the soft focus photography, like, you know, gorgeous is supposed to be the pretty one. All of these girls, they're very pretty and they're shot beautifully. Like everything looks just this like wonderful, soft focus. Um, even the, the, the ant who is also the house and the cat and kind of a vampire, uh, looks great. All of this yeah. stuff is just so good. Yeah, I like that the ant is supposed to be kind of a seemingly like scary old evil woman, but it's still kind of smoking. Yeah. 
The um, yeah, what you got? Well, I was gonna say Mac disappears, and immediately the ant shows up and is like more full of energy, and nobody really starts questioning this. They're like, "Oh, Mac must have walked to the potato field down the road because she loves potatoes." Hell yeah, Spud Nation. Uh, I really feel like you have a good connection to this now. <laughs> I do. And I don't understand why more people don't love potatoes. Who, do, the best who doesn't food. love them? Some people, some people, Connie, <laughs> question the amount, the frequency of which I eat potatoes. Okay, I know you eat potatoes at least once a day, right? No. I'm on... I would say, over the course of a year, four out of seven days, I've had a potato in me at some point. (laughs) Okay. Uh, And now that may have been through the mouth, uh that may have been otherwise, but I've had a potato inside me. As long as you enjoy the potatoes, this is why you're upset that other people don't love the potatoes. <laughs> uh, so, what's what is your favorite potato preparation? Oh, I, I make killer breakfast potatoes. Let me tell you what, bud. You got to get the right potato. So, you want, like, not Yukon Gold, but there's other yellow ones. And I think you want the waxy variety. Okay. Anyways, chop them into little bite-sized pieces, boil them, put them in boiling water for about 12 minutes, strain immediately in a mesh thing for about 20 seconds until they stop dripping, transfer them to a metal bowl, and shake the hell out of the metal bowl. This will create a mashed potato consistency all around the exterior of the potatoes. Then leave them to rest for at least 10 minutes to steam. You want as much moisture out of the potatoes as possible. Finally, heat up some oil, preferably not butter. Take care of your hearts. Have some olive oil. Have some vegetable oil. I usually use olive. In a pan, throw them in, medium-high heat, five minutes aside. Cook them for about 12 minutes total, season near the end. Perfect breakfast potatoes. Crispy on the outside, fluffy on the inside. I think the the shaking them in the bowl uh, is a step I've never heard of. Where did you, did you come up with that, like, trial and error? Did you get it from somebody? I've seen other people on, like, YouTube videos use a fork to, like, rake a fork across the potatoes to score them to get that. Uh, but if you boil them sufficiently, they will create a really nice potato mash. So if you find that when you're shaking them in the bowl and they're not mashing up, they were underboiled. Okay. 12 but, minutes on the boil seems to be solid. But it's got to be the the waxy potatoes. because other- You can try others, but it's just some potatoes won't give you the the crunch on the outside that you're after. I I don't think a russet would make a good breakfast potato in that style. No, I think that's more of a, maybe a shredded potato or like a potato. I don't know about a potato slice either. 
I feel Russet, like- I think eh, Russets have a time and a place. They're mainly like a, a, a baked guy or something. Twice baked potato, mm-hmm. stuff like that for Russets. I'm really hungry for some breakfast potatoes. And although I'm having sweet potatoes for dinner with homemade chili on them. Yuck. Which is delightful. Yuck, I say. <laughs> Come on. I love potatoes. Get sweet potatoes out of here. I don't want them. You want nothing to do with a yam, huh? No. Every once in a while, someone might make a good sweet potato fry, but I find 90% of cooks underfry them, and you mm. got to fry the fuck out of a sweet potato fry to get the texture right. Otherwise, they're very mushy. Oh, yeah. I would totally agree with that. But these are baked sweet potatoes. It's a different thing. You know, we were having a really good day today, and we were really getting along and enjoying each other's company, and I don't know why you have to sour the day now. No, sweet. They're sweet. So, uh, the girls are washing the dishes, and one of the... (laughs) God dang it. Um... I took my headphones off. Oh, it took me a second. I was looking at my notes. I, I no people. longer needed to listen to this nonsense. <laughs> oh my god! Hi, I'm back. Uh, I was looking at my notes on the other half of the screen, and then I looked back, and you're just sitting there judging me with your headphones around your around your neck. <laughs> oh, we have fun around here. Oh god, that was good. <laughs> um, who's the girl chopping firewood? Is that that's kung fu? Kung fu. Oh, of course it's kung fu because then she gets attacked by the firewood that she was chopping and fights it all off. Yes. We also have the other girls are cleaning up, and one of them, I think it's Professor, um, sticks a a water cup underneath the water spout, and it fills with blood and she just drinks it without ever looking pointedly not looking at the glass and just drinks all the blood it's one thing to not look but to not taste that Mm -hmm. (laughs) or she's a cannibal and this is secretly what she's been after the whole time is just some good old fashioned blood water Literally every time somebody says the word cannibal now, the music from Ravenous starts playing in my head. That's good. Yeah. You should always have the soundtrack to Ravenous playing in your head. I do. I do. Right now I hear... I'm going to cut that in for sure. Awesome. When are we going to talk about Ravenous? I don't know. We talked about talking about Ravenous at one point. We did. Yeah. And I did do Best Little Whorehouse in Philly episode on it. So I felt like I wanted to take some time. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's been enough time now. Of course you have because you love Ravenous. You're like, yeah, it's Does been Ravenous... enough time. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Keep Ravenous in mind. Um, yeah. So there, another girl has a bunch of hair grow around her in the tub and like grab her shoulders and she doesn't seem to notice that either 
What is she says so, like just an illusion or something. <laughs> they both yeah. A lot of the girls right around this time just dismiss everything as like, oh must just be one of those classic illusions that happen to us all in our daily lives. <laughs> so Josh, the ant is dancing with a skeleton and eating human hands and eating goldfish, but also reanimating goldfish. And now the cat's meowing to the music and flashing forward and backward in time on the piano as it plays the piano. Yeah, and this all <laughs> seems totally normal movie stuff, you know. I just, is this because I haven't had a cat in a while and I'm a dog guy that I, is this just normal cat stuff? Oh, speaking of which, look at old Buster back there. Oh, hey, Buster. You're so old. But is this just cat things that I don't know about anymore? The cats do love to walk across pianos. Like, that's not just a trope from movies. If my cats are any indication, they do love to put their little paws on the keys uh, and, I guess, feel the sensation. You know, I read on IMDb that Kubrick used a cat walking on a piano to score Eyes Wide Shut. Really now? Any other facts about uh, Eyes Wide Shut there? That's a really good joke. <laughs> and a really shitty movie. <laughs> wow. Oh, Clockwork Orange sucks too. Oh. I haven't reviewed it yet, but we watched it yesterday. That movie sucks. Wow. I don't know what to say to that. I'm just taking a blowtorch to all of these old white men and their quote-unquote masterpieces that uh -huh. AFI lists have. And I just, I watch it, I'm like, no, no, this is, come on, really? This is what you, like, famous critics deem masterpieces? Come on. Come on. That's, uh... Come on. I would like to see your your letterboxed circles of, like, the, the top 250 IMDb and the, the Sight and Sound top 100 uh, and go through your ranking of those movies and see how many stars you give them. You're like, Casablanca, two stars. Vertigo, one and a half. You know I haven't seen Casablanca. I know. I have seen Vertigo, and I do recall not liking it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's somewhere around here that you really get like a really good image of the house because you're cutting between the girls cleaning up the girl um like mopping the floor uh the one outside and the one in the bath how would you like to spend a weekend at this house Mopping a floor without a mop sure does look hard, doesn't it? They do the same thing in um, Spirited Away, except for there's like 12 of these girls shoulder to shoulder, and they mop the entire floor. Uh, and I thought maybe it was something they just came up with for the cartoon, but no, apparently it's uh, a thing that they really do. Carl Pilkington, in one of his travel shows, spent time at a monastery hanging out with a monk, and that's... Uh... One of the daily tasks is getting the rag and literally push running it up and down the hallways to clean them. I don't think I could handle that. 
I, I get um, I get dizzy if I'm like in that position for too long. And are you often on your <laughs> are you often crawling around on your hands and feet? Uh, I don't know if you've done yoga recently, Sean, but yes. Damn it. <laughs> you got me with that one. <laughs> um, one of the girls is looking in the mirror, which cracks, and then her face cracks, and then the cracks of her face become fire, and then her entire body becomes a living embodiment of fire. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it sure does. That's I noted that was one of my favorite uh, effects in the movie was like... It looks like petals or something falling off her face and the fire behind it. I thought that was really cool. What do you what do you think of the mattress attack scene? This looked like of all the ways a ghost could attack you. This one looks kind of delightful. So, it reminded me of uh pillow fights are never as fun as they're supposed to be. Like really, yeah. Did you have some bad experiences with pillow fights in your days growing up in Indiana? I I feel like first of all, as kind of the the unathletic kid, that you're going to get wailed on. There's going to be some people who really hurt you. Although I did ha- was part of an adult pillow fight a couple of years ago, uh, and that wasn't too bad. The town I live in used to be famous for pillow fights. They would dig, <laughs> like, make a big mud pit in the local park and have a log, and then two people would, like, scoot out on their butts, I think, or maybe it was on their feet, and fight with pillows over the mud pit. But they had to shut it down about eight years ago or ten years ago before I moved here. Because so many people came to... I live in a town with a thousand people. Mm -hmm. And so many people flooded the town and would get rowdy and fights would break out. And it... it, This event ran for like 40 plus years. And um, I I think people eventually just had enough of it. Which kind of... It's it's a real catch-22 for me because... I don't like people coming here. (laughs) Like being like noisy (laughs) and like being a pain in the ass. But at the same time... I really want to see that spectacle. And people say it was a hell of a lot of fun. It, it, I don't think I'd like to be a part of it, but I think I would like to, to witness it. I would like to pillow fight my own friends, where I know it's not going to be some dude that, like, roid rages and gets all fucking aggro and takes things way too seriously. Yeah, I can totally see that. Um... I jousted with previous guest Azam. Okay, now describe this jousting to me. American Gladiator style, but Q-tip, giant Q-tip. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, senior night at high school. And so, out, you know, the night that everyone graduates, they do a thing where they keep kids on campus until 5 a.m. or something. It's a way to deter kids from drunk driving and yeah, yeah. partying and stuff. And uh so they had a like a raised platform with uh, inflatable padding underneath. And so we we jousted on two raised platforms like gladiators. That's that's very cool. It was fun. 
That's uh, I never got to do anything like that, and I I did get to do log rolling. Um, Ooh, I would love to try log rolling. Yeah, we had like run it running on one on a lake. We had a huge. Well, we did it on a lake at um, Camp Tecumseh, but generally we had a giant, a really big pool um, at the YMCA up in Elkhart, which I think they've torn down since since then. Um, but we would. Like we learned how to kayak in that pool, uh, and they would like shove you off the side so you could like flip yourself over. But the um, the log rolling, you'd get out there and it's just fun. And you know what? If you fall, you're just falling into water. It's okay. You're gonna be fine. It's a little thrill. Have you have you seen log rolling battles? Uh, where where two people get on and they try to fake each other out and spin it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. I feel like if I grew up in Finland, I would be well-versed at that. Is that where they also do the um, the, the log throwing? Like I don't know. The competitions? I don't know. Is it is it in Holland where they do the one where they have a really long pole and try to launch themselves over a bank of a creek? That sounds right. Where do they chase the cheese? Oh, fuck, that cheese chasing downhill, that's like the scariest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> people people start like rolling together like snowballs and like gaining mass and momentum. It's terrifying. <laughs> that They should stop that for like personal liability reasons. Yeah, it's a mad world in it. You were talking nonsense. She even said, I think you should be more concerned about your sources, which I've been trying to tell you for a year. Right? The fact, I mean, I mean, 18 knees, where did you get that from? It's, uh, it's on the internet. Uh, they can hold their breath for 40 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what you read and take on. Mad world, don't it? <laughs> Uh, my next thing is, um, one of the girls imagining Mr. Togo, who's her teacher, showing up on horseback to save her from this, and them being like, <laughs> basically, very old-timey views of women, where it's like, oh, won't it be great when there's a man around to help you fix this? <laughs> when there's a man around, you'll finally be able to, like, take care of yourself. When things really start popping off towards the end of the movie, they're all like, when they all realize that bad shit's happening, they always go, Mr. Togo will come to save us. He's, he promised he'd come. He's promised he'd show up. And then it cuts to Mr. Togo, like, sitting in traffic or eating noodles. <laughs> the, the, the cutaway to eating noodles cracked me up because that was like a hard cut to a man just stuffing his face like... Man, these noodles are really good. <laughs> uh, he shoves his face into the frame where the girls are, and then the camera like whip pans to him as he moves his head back. So it's it is incredibly jarring, and it's, it doesn't even happen for long enough to know like if if it's just a optical thing or if he was actually on set there. I don't know. I mean, how about the. I thought the piano kill was so cool, where the piano eats Melody's fingers and then eats her, and you see her 
it looked like a Nightmare on Elm Street kill when she's like struggling against the piano strings. Mm-hmm. I could totally see Freddy Krueger putting a musician inside a piano like this. The it first eats her fingers, and she kind of laughs. She's like, "Oh, oh, my fingers! Oh, they're gone!" And then it eats her hand, and she's upset now. And the whole time, they don't cut away to him for a while, but the skeleton is in the background dancing. The whole time, the piano is eating her. He's just back there dancing. A perfect October visual. Yeah, <laughs> he's got wacky eyes. He's dancing around. He's great. And now we get that same melody that Melody was playing. Um, the disembodied fingers start playing it. And when I thought this was one of the coolest shots in the movie, the fingers pushing down the keys and then, and then the piano eats them at the very end too. Mm-hmm. And blood splatters everywhere. Yeah. Um, also we, <laughs> we, we didn't mention something very, very important. At the Noodle House, mm-hmm. they've employed a bear to work <laughs> in the kitchen. That's right. <laughs> uh, There's a bear wearing a headband and chef's shirt <laughs> there next to the guy prepping the food. I, I could not figure that out. I was like, is this a real bear? Sp- supposed to be a real bear? Or is he uh, like a mascot or what? Again, I'm going to assume, because it's this movie, that that's a real bear that just works at a noodle shop. It makes the most sense, given the the context around it. Um, Why are they they stacking all the furniture at the top of the stairs? Um, As a barricade? I think they say barricade at one point. I can't figure out. It seems like the entire house is trying to attack them. So I don't understand how blockading the stairs benefits their situation. No, and they can't get out. They're already trapped because um, because Kung Fu tried to kick the shutters off, off the house and to no avail. And we know if Kung Fu can't do it, nobody can. Definitely. Kung Fu battling gorgeous ghost. Was that gorgeous as a ghost? Yes. And there's all that fog and there's like a cool guitar song playing. Uh, That that was a very fun sequence. But then (laughs) I I skipped ahead a little here, but the lantern, a lantern comes down and sucks up Kung Fu and it eats her, but it doesn't eat all of her and her legs are able to escape and finish the mission of attacking a cat photo (laughs) by accomplishing this the cat photo starts gushing blood out of its mouth which then coincides with gorgeous ghost also gushing blood out of her neck Mm -hmm. I, I got that right um, and it's not, uh, one of my notes was there's never enough blood in movies, but I think this movie might prove me wrong. <laughs> what? When the, 
when the floor panels are so <laughs> this this house how did they do this how did they flood this set so that each floor panel becomes like a door on the titanic as these girls are floating around in this room i don't know and it it gives uh rose a really bad look here because there's two girls on one of these floor panels and it seems to be floating just fine. So. Okay. Uh huh. Now Josh. Yes. Yes. We don't need to be regurgitating comedian bits from 2004. Okay. (laughs) Mythbusters did this. They determined that there was no way that the door could have supported both their weights. I didn't realize. I didn't realize that. This. You should watch it. I did like Mythbusters. Um, oh, uh, if if there's um, a Reddit called Smiths S M Y T H S, and it's wonderful people who edit all of the fluff and filler out of a Mythbusters episode. So they edit all of the recaps out, all of the coming up next, all of like the folklore person. I think they cut her out too. It's mm-hmm. just like. 42 episodes to 42 minute episodes often come down to like 26 minutes. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you want to watch Mythbusters, I highly recommend watch them there. Did did you see recently that um Carrie was on uh like Tinder or Hinge? Yeah, but can't anyone just make a profile and then put up a celebrity photo? It, I don't know. But what a weird what a weird person to choose if you were to do that. No, it's it's like Dwight says in the office. It's it's the person you medium suspect. <laughs> that's why that worked so well cuz that's just like, well, it's not that obvious, but it's also not completely disbelievable. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, okay. It, um I skipped over the part where gorgeous her giant head pops into the room and then at one point there's a Basically a big Rolling Stone logo of a mouth and lips floating around in a giant eyeball. (laughs) That's uh, when this guy decided to use every technique that he had at his disposal. I mean, every single technique, everything that you could possibly do. And... The the beautiful part is it's not just the the animation, the in-camera stuff. Uh, seemingly, it goes to the practical effects. And with things like that, I can't figure out what was what. Like, how this all was supposed to work. Like, how did you, did he come up with this stuff? There was no storyboards. There's apparently barely a script. Did he know all this stuff ahead of time that he was going to do? Or do you think he just came up with it later? It's There had to have been some kind of plan because so much of this stuff is not... It, you couldn't just pull this off in the editing room after all is said and done. Yeah. You would have to do prep with the shots and camera setups and everything beforehand. I don't know. Have you seen any other movies by Obayashi? I, is this... Is this typical for this guy's style? I don't I don't know anything about him. Um I think Oh, we did watch The Drifting Classroom. 
uh, recently, which it's not as wild, but it does have like it uses a ton of different techniques and especially matte paintings uh, for this classroom that like falls out of time or the school that falls out of time and winds up on Arrakis, basically. What's that? That's the Dune planet. I almost guessed that. Yeah. Which, is that the cinnamon planet? No, not cinnamon. (laughs) Spice. Yep, it's the cinnamon, it's the sugar and spice planet. (laughs) It's clear that when I watched Dune, I I absorbed all of that information, right? Yes, it totally all sunk in. We were going to do an episode at one point with Dustin where I just asked him about the plot of Dune and he would blow my mind telling me things. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure in Dune, the movie suggested that the only way to navigate the stars is by taking psychedelics. Yes. (laughs) That's rad. It's very cool. (laughs) Should... Should I read Dune? Is this like, is this something that would be like right up my alley? I think, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a combination of like hard sci-fi and trippy, uh, head sci-fi. How long is it? The book series? Oh, I don't know if you could get through the whole series, but the first book I read like the first three books. Uh, it used to be a five book series and I think it's his son continued writing them. Um, if you want to consider those like expanded universe or whatever, it's probably up to like 10 now or something. When do most people stop? I think if you read the first one, you're good. Just the first one. Yeah. I think you could read the first one if you're interested in the world. Um, it's like rendezvous with Rama. I don't know if you ever read that, but like it's a self-contained story. It's very funny because right now I can only think of the author's name as Herbert West, but that's the name of the reanimator. <laughs> Frank Herbert? Frank Herbert. There you go. Yep. I'm listening to The Expanse, the first book in The Expanse. It's a 10 book series, mm-hmm. and that's super hard sci fi. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. It's my first foray into sci fi like this. And I actually do find it satisfying because I. I like to think about physics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so this book solving, coming up with solutions to long-term space travel and stuff like that. And the tolls it would take on the human body, all that sort of stuff. I actually find really cool. Uh, that's what I liked about the rendezvous with Rama. Um, and then I think it was a Rama too. And uh, I don't remember the other, se- the other books, but it's, you know, if we ever watch, the raid again, we'll have our own rendezvous with Rama. So the cat. Is... <laughs> what about the cat? Um, the cat is in gorgeous's lap and is also making this stuff happen. Or is this now the house is taken over entirely? No, it, it the cat had the power. Everything else is caused by the cat. The cat's evil. That's my read. But is it doing it for 
If you're saying what came first, yes. the chicken or the egg or the house or the cat or the ant, the cat came first. Okay. The cat birthed the ant, and the ant beget the house, and the house beget these girls. But they've eaten all of the girls in the village. The triumvirate of the ant, the house, and the cat have eaten all of the girls, and so now it needs fresh girls, so they're shipped in from the city. This is like a direct analogy to the Catholic Church. (laughs) You have the triumvirate, Uh an evil organization that consumes children. This movie's brilliant. See? Aren't you glad Do I, I had you watch it? I uncomfortable when I go on anti-Catholic rants because I feel like you never join in. <laughs> also, it's always about the organization itself. I don't hold anything against people who practice their own religion as long as you practice responsibly. But I don't believe in the organization and the, the evil of said organization. I, Fuck it. I was thinking the other day about your, your thing with the Warrens. Uh, yeah, fuck those people. <laughs> what about it? Well, because um, I was watching... Have you seen Satan's Slaves? No, what is that? It is, uh, I believe, Indonesian movie um, that plays like it might be part of the Conjuring universe, but better. It's not as self-serious, and it doesn't have the Warrens in it. Those are all good things. Yes, so you have me intrigued. Yeah, as I was watching, it's a terrible title. <laughs> especially once you get to the end of the movie, you're like, "Are they Satan slaves?" I don't think they're Satan slaves. Can we talk about the ending of Rosemary's Baby? Okay. It sucks. Oh. It's so dumb. All those old people saying "Hail Satan, Hail Satan." That is cornball. Yes, straight cornball. That. That's another one. I watched that and it's like this I like this movie as as far as like the plight of a woman who's dismissed by every man around her, mm-hmm. including that one point where she thinks like she's found safety in a doctor yes. and the doctor backstabs her. That was the scariest part of that movie. All of the devil stuff was fucking stupid. So the especially the devil imagery I think that stuff is done much better in Altered States. Altered State? I watched that at your house. Yeah. That's a badass movie. More people should watch that. Yeah. That movie's so far ahead of its time. Talking about DMT tripping and um, isolation tanks, all sorts of crazy shit. William Hurt's really good, too. His first role, right? I think so. Yeah. House. House. Uh, so the house eventually eats all the girls. Uh, it fills with blood. Fantasy rips off Gorgeous's top and then holds her and says, Mommy. But Gorgeous is petting a girl and her boobs are out and her eyes do green cat magic. Right. <laughs> Who? How? (laughs) Where? (laughs) I don't know. So, 
in between all of this, which that's almost like religious imagery, right? Like um, the boobs shocked me. I, I will say I did not expect to see boobs in this. Yeah. And so for there to be, there was like brief underwater boobs, but that's one thing. But this is full on boobs on display here. Yes. And I, that was surprising to me. Yeah. What do you? What do you? What's your take on it? I was really appreciative of the fact that the movie, like, it doesn't ogle the the girls. No, there's not a single. Sorry, Greg. There's not a single sleazy Toby Hooper shot that just Ooh. focuses on a butt or something like that. <laughs> it. And it could like there's a shot where the um, the they replace the floor with glass and it's shooting up and the girl in the skirt is like twirling above it. But it doesn't linger. It's it's almost like the shot in Jaws, like at the beginning of Jaws, where the woman is naked and the shark is coming up underneath. And on the 4K, you're like, oh, this was never meant to be seen like this, because in earlier versions, it was like totally dark. And kind of blurred out. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. That's interesting that you bring that up because that's not even in my memory of there being nudity. I mean, I, I know she strips her clothes off, but as far as I can remember, it's like a brief butt shot in the moonlight as she's running into the ocean. I don't even remember that that leg shot underwater. Yeah, it's, it is pretty intense. Having seen it on recently on the big screen twice <laughs> with the new cleaned up version. It's like, Oh, Holy shit. Yeah. That's dude. Fucking theater. I go to show up there. It worked out, but I show up for like a one o'clock screening of jaws mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh yeah, we're not doing that. Cause that theater has technical problems. So I'm like, fuck. So, Pearl's running, but it's been running for like eight minutes already. So I saw that. So I think I missed the first five minutes of Pearl, which okay. I, I, I hate. I don't miss the start of movies. Yeah. So I was annoyed by that. Go see, I, see Pearl. I fuck Pearl was so good. I loved it. Mia Goth was incredible in that movie. Uh, I did not expect to become emotional walking into that theater that day. Nope. But I was, man, it, it was, I was really, really surprised, like how deeply that movie affected me. And so in the end, I was okay that Jaws wasn't showing because I got to see Pearl instead. And then I called the theater the next day and it was still broken and it was the last day Jaws was running. So I didn't get to see it. Hopefully I'll get to see it one day in a theater. That's um, Jaws is the film I've seen in the most formats now, I believe. Because I saw it in IMAX. I saw it in 3D. I've seen it uh, at a regular at the Belcourt. Um, I saw it outdoors at a uh, the water park in Austin. I've seen it Fun. on Laserdisc, VHS, television, and DVD. <laughs> and digital. Digital. I've never seen a Blu-ray copy of it, but I think that's like the only one that I haven't seen. Wow. Have you ever listened to it via Morse code? <sighs> never say never, but not yet. 
Uh, did you ever use that site where people listen to movies or where you can listen to movies? No, I think it might be called listen to a movie.com. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, I've used that before at work to like, you know, like I like having background noise, but I don't want something that I like a podcast or an audio book where if I tune out for a little bit, I'm going to miss some information. So sure. Like listen to a movie is it's pretty good middle ground for that. What's a movie you would listen to? Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I could see that. Yeah, that'd be a good one to listen to. I miss Jack Lemmon. Oh yeah. Twelve Angry Men with Jack Lemmon, excellent. R.I.P. Grumpier Old Men, uh, masterpiece. That's got uh, way better than a Clockwork Orange. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. <laughs> but not grumpy men. It's got to be grumpier old men. Um, <sighs> do they both have Sophia Loren, or is she only in one of them? Oh, hey, a classic sex icon that I actually know who you're talking about, only from the context of grumpy or grumpier old men. I don't remember. I think that's the sequel where... Mathow and Lemon are fighting over her affection? Yes, yeah. What's the one where they're both presidents? They're both ex-presidents? I'm sorry. What's happening now? Jack Lemon and Walter Mathow played in a movie where they were both ex-presidents, and at one point they drive through a jack-in-the-box mascot and I remember laughing as a kid because Jack's nose almost impales Jack Lemon through the windshield of the car. Is this a fever dream? <laughs> I feel like you. Uh, it seems delightful. My fellow Americans. That's a movie. Oh, not it wasn't. It wasn't Walter Matthau. It was James Garner. But yeah, my fellow Americans, two, two former U.S. presidents, hated rivals, joined forces to expose the current corrupt president at the risk of their lives. Oh, wow. What a prescient movie. Also uh, featuring Lauren Bacall. <laughs> I just saw the Jack in the Box thing. I clicked on IMDb and it started auto playing the trailer and I saw the nose go through the windshield <laughs> and it's still funny. <laughs> Oh, fuck. I never grew up. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm still 10. That movie's got an exploding helicopter in it. That's how you know it's quality. Oh, I, we did, uh, at the 24-hour marathon, we rewatched The Hitcher. And I was as engrossed as when we watched it a couple months back. I was like, this it's just a good movie. It's so enjoyable. Did somebody get their hands on the HD German release? Yes. Or did you watch? Oh, so you got to see it in actual quality footage. Yes. How did that change your experience? I mean, I was just slightly more intense. I don't. I mean, it, it looked it looked a lot nicer than. Yeah, I don't think there whatever. was any like. Um, there's not a lot of granular details in that particular movie. The. No, but just those wide shots are so beautiful. Yeah. 
Um, house. New lady shows up. Where are your friends? They will wake up. They wake up when they're hungry. Mm Mm-hmm. She does cat magic eyes and turns the woman into flames. (laughs) I think so. Is that that what happened? (laughs) What's... What's the ending cap on this movie? One can live on in the hearts of others, so we must share the stories of lovers so they can live on forever. The only promise is love. Where did that come from? That's nowhere in this movie anywhere. So that's that's the aunt's story because her her fiance or her husband, whatever it was, died in the war and she never got to consummate her love. And so she turns into a vampire, much like a Dracula, or an Elizabeth Bathory, if you will. Uh, I will. Okay. And therefore, that's why she sucks young blood, is because she needs it to live on to prove love rules all or something like that. The black metal band Dissection has a very good song called Elizabeth Bathory. Oh, okay. Which I will cut in. Now. It's pretty good, huh? Oh man. That was I didn't expect I it see to, you I see you headbang into this. <laughs> I didn't expect to enjoy it so much, but I really do. I know. I know how much you love screaming vocals. <laughs> what about the very ending where we get like the sitcom credits with all the girls smiling and playing in a in a field or whatever? Uh, it it's I still question why doesn't every movie do this Mm -hmm. Predator did it and it made Predator the best movie ever (laughs) that was my exact thought I sometimes I think about the closing credits of Predator and I just smile Mm -hmm. do you turn towards (laughs) the camera and smile I do (laughs) <laughs> and I and I give a little chuckle too. Ah, ah. Oh fuck! This was a weird episode. <laughs> yeah, it was. I feel like we matched the weirdness of these movies <laughs> with our energy today. I think we I think we did these movies justice. Do you think these worked as a double feature? Uh, I do. They're both surreal. Um. They're both fever dream movies, and I feel like if you watch Possum, you need something like wacky to get you out of that mode. Uh, and yeah, I, I really do. Also, they both feature, uh, you know, weird derelict houses. Oh, I didn't even consider the house aspect of both of these movies. Yeah, that was my. My very first note was like, we got a house thing going on here. I was also really upset with you when I watched like one and a half seasons of Hugh Laurie before you told me that's not what we're talking about. I mean, he's got problems, Sean. He's he's a genius and a drug addict. How can those things coincide? (laughs) I did like house for about. I probably watched like four seasons of it or something. Eventually I had to, it, it, it was too repetitive. Same with Californication. I can only deal with a character 
making strides only to then fall back to the point where they started to then make those same strides again to then fall back season after season because we don't know what else to do with them. Um, have you ever seen the the pilot of House? I, I probably I watched the show. It's it looks totally different than the rest of the series. Mm. It's really it's shot really weird, but it was by Brian Singer shot it um, or directed it. Rather, oh. I don't know who actually shot so it. It's creepy, too. Yeah, it's and l- lecherous. And- yeah, it has parties that you shouldn't go to. Yeah. Yep. What would you give Japanese house out of five? Japanese house gets four stars and a heart for me. Uh, it's all right. It's it, good. It is. It's so inventive and goofy. It gives me evil dead vibes. Um, especially it, that last like 15 minutes or whatever, as everything just becomes totally unhinged and there's blood everywhere. Uh, and like I said, I love movies that take a big swing. It doesn't make me emotional. So it doesn't get into that last star. Speaking of movies that take a big swing, I recently watched Resolution and The Endless back-to-back. Didn't quite hold up as much as I had recalled, and those movies both are really big swing movies. Endless hits more, but I think they both still leave a lot of ideas on the table. Or they're like, they're movies that have, are based on really good ideas, but the execution is flawed. Mm Mm-hmm. It it was interesting to watch them both, but didn't hold up quite as well. This one, I will say, this is a really tricky one for me to review because our conversation has been so much fun. So I, I, I love this movie because of that. And I'm so impressed with it and the creativity. However, at the same time, I was checking the runtime and feeling so disconnected from everything that I had no anchor point or grounding. It was just pure absurdity, almost to its own detriment. So I, the conversation, I, it's a three out of five. It, it's a very tricky one for me to say, mm-hmm. or how to, how to review this one, or how to feel about this one. I do think if I was more well-versed in anime and other aspects of Japanese culture that are a little more out there and experimental, I would probably be able to settle into this one better. But this is just like not my comfort ground. And so while I, I love so many things about it and the production of it, I didn't enjoy it that much. Do you think it would play better for you personally with a group? 100%. Okay. Watching this movie by myself with my dogs, like, yeah, this would be way more fun with four or five people hanging out. Uh, Also, do you think it would work better uh, under the influence or would it be too much? Um, I don't. It'd probably be good, Stony. I don't know. It's I don't ever I I've been smoking pot for long enough that I don't ever get high and like 
oh, this is too much, or like, this is a bad vibe to have when stoned. It's just like, it's just all kind of normal to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm more thinking now, like, would I want to be on acid watching this movie? I think it would be too much. Yeah. I think it would, I think it would be too much. I can totally see that. I I do think probably a a little bit uh, in that glazed section where you can kind of let it wash over you would be good. But if you are actively already seeing things, uh, you know, that if your limbs are getting too long, you don't. Now I just want a glazed twist. Mm. That's the best donut. What's your favorite donut? I don't know. I went for a Boston cream the other day. But it was Oh, I was just about to say, if you say cream filled, I'm ending the show and we're never recording again. <laughs> but I did pick it almost entirely because it was pumpkin shaped and they iced a little pumpkin face on it. Did it have cream filling? Well, yes, it did. Did you like that? Well, yes, I did. No, no. Oh shit! Well, I was just about to suggest our next episode, but I think <laughs> I think that's off now. We can't do it. Nope. All right, our next episode would normally be slated to release on Tuesday, November first, but we're going to release it a day early, so it's going to come out on All Hallows All Hallows Eve. Ooh. And um, we're going to have our friend Dylan on the show, and today he just decided that we're going to be watching Sleepy Hollow, which is a movie I've never seen before. I'm excited. So, my suggestion to you, my friend. Does Ravenous pair with Sleepy Hollow as two movies about myth and mythos <laughs> in a time in the past? <laughs> oh, man. Is... Is Ravenous a good uh, Halloween-y movie? Because Sleepy Hollow definitely is. I feel like Ravenous... I mean, it's kind of wintery, Ravenous, too. Ravenous might be better suited for a Thanksgiving feast episode. Yeah, I think you nailed it. You nailed the nail on the head. So, okay. We'll put a pin on Ravenous. Look for that in a month. What do we pair with Sleepy Hollow? What is what's a good vibes movie? Halloween. Oh. It's a little light, but what about something wicked this way comes? Never heard of it. Well, I've 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 heard of Is that a Bradbury story? It is. Did were you the one that was telling me about that last episode? I feel like maybe we were DMing about it or it was in the spooky stories thread somewhere in there. Oh, it could have been. Yeah. Cause we were, we also talked about the Halloween tree. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about that. What is, is that a Halloween vibe movie? Oh, it's yeah. Very much a Halloween vibe movie. The, the other one that came to mind was needful things. Never heard of that either. The Stephen King. Why do you keep throwing these movies at me? I've never heard of. Why is I'm looking at. 
<laughs> I was looking at a list of 98 movies to chill and thrill you for Halloween. <laughs> One, I didn't realize that I clicked. It's by Teen Vogue. So I'm reading Teen Vogue right now. <laughs> and they have Whatever Happened okay. to Baby Jane on the list. <laughs> that's, that's not a Halloween Ooh. movie. <laughs> The the Talk second result PTSD. is from Glamour.com. Why why does Google think I want to take all of my movie advice from fucking beauty magazines? And was needful things. The Stephen King. Why is I'm looking at <laughs> I is looking at a list of 98 movies to chill and thrill you for Halloween. <laughs> One, I didn't realize that I clicked. It's by Teen Vogue. So I'm reading Teen Vogue right now. Okay. <laughs> and they have Whatever Happened to Baby Jane on the list. Ooh. That's, that's not a Halloween movie. <laughs> Talk about PTSD. The, the second result is from Glamour.com. Why, why does Google think I want to take all of my movie advice from fucking beauty magazines? Were you recently um, uh, looking up, you know, like friendship quizzes and things like that? Yes, I was actually... 15 questions to see if you're a good lover. <laughs> How'd you score? Low. Low, sorry. Very selfish lover. Hmm. I mean, good for you. <laughs> so which one do you want to do? I think uh, something wicked this way comes. Okay. If, if you want to put your hat in the ring for that one. Yep. Is that a, I, th I that's not a saying, is it? No, but I get what I, you're, <laughs> you want to, you want to throw I my conflated. hat in the ring? Yeah. I think I conflated like three different idioms there. <laughs> We've been talking for too long. We got to go. Like my brain stops working after about two and a half hours, I think. <laughs> that's fine. All right. So listeners, thank you so much for hanging out. You heard it here. We will be watching. Sleepy Hollow and Something Wicked This Way Comes. And that episode will be out on Halloween. Josh, you got any, anything else? No. Frankly, no. He's not the best color man in the league for nothing, folks. Oh, fuck. On that note, we're out of here. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Please be kind to yourselves. Please be kind to each other. Take care. We'll see you in two weeks. We love you. Goodbye. Bye.